Hello, welcome to another episode of HR Nightmares. I've got two awesome guys here today with me. Um, new face here in the co-host seat, Graham Elmore. You want to introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me. I work with Lisa at Vanica as the director of people and culture. Um, so I've enjoyed learning all things HR from the HR guru that is Lisa Lee. And Rob Campbell. Hey, Lisa. <laughs> He's back in town. I'm back in town. I feel so honored. Like uh, <laughs> Rob moved to Tennessee. Are you gone? Have you been gone a year? Yeah, yeah, I've been there a year. Yeah, over okay. a year now. Okay, so he and his wife Leslie moved to Johnson City. Johnson City. Johnson Tennessee. City. Yeah, it's in a song. Old Crow Madison Show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's he flew back. Um, luckily, I didn't have to pay for it. Our buddy over at Cloudwise oh, is hiring it. you to come and do some leadership consulting, right? Yeah, absolutely. Which yeah. is where we met. It is. I think we met. We we might have met before that, but then we worked together. At we Cloudwise. met before. You're right. I, I had reached out because you were in the HR space, and I was trying to do a lot in that space. And so we met early, and then yeah, fate brought us to Cloudwise. Yes. Yep. So um, you were the colonel, and I was the sergeant. <laughs> and so we'll have to. I, I always like that analogy um, in business where. Um, you know, every colonel needs a sergeant and what, yes. kind of what that relationship looks Absolutely. like. So we'll get to that. Um, but why don't you tell the audience that's listening? We, we oftentimes have we've got people who are who are employees that have no leadership responsibilities. We've got people who listen that are HR colleagues of ours and are like, well, what would you do? And then we've got folks who are either business owners or managers or sit in like some kind of management or leadership yeah. position in a company. So it's kind of all over the place, all different states. Um, I think we've had listeners in 41 states so nice. far. We're able to kind of track it, um, which is very exciting. We're on TikTok. We're on YouTube. We're on all the platforms where you listen to your uh, where you listen to your podcast. So make sure that if you like what you're hearing today with Rob Campbell and Graham Elmore, you're hitting subscribe and you're liking and you're following. And you're getting notifications when the new episodes appear. So tell us about you, Rob Campbell Leadership, yep. and what do you do? What do I do? I think I do all of those things you just mentioned. So. <laughs> Rob Campbell, Army vet of 27 years, turned author and uh, executive leadership coach and keynote speaker on leadership mainly, also a big veteran advocate. And so I do my, mainly um, executive leadership coaching and speaking on the topic of leadership and veteran advocacy. And I'm also a small business owner. I bought a small business last year. Uh, I sell window fashions, blind shutters and shades. And so there's a whole entrepreneurial story behind that as well. But <laughs> Uh, but I'm in a small business, so I get the intricacies of a small team and a very lean organization. So it's helped me a lot of that. And, I, and I've had the good fortune to look under the hood of a lot of companies to see what's happening in there and think a lot about what's happening in the modern workforce and all that. So you were the first person I thought of when Sean brought me to town. I said, all right, I got to talk to Lisa. We got to get on film here. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, um, first of all, I think an important question is knowing what uh, window fashions are most in style right now. Hmm. Um, I would, I would say shutters are still pretty popular. Okay. <laughs> uh, blinds, are, Graham's, you know, Graham's renovating his house. He needs oh, yeah, to know. New house. Yeah. Well, down here on the coast, they're big. I mean, shutters yeah. are kind of the thing in beach homes. So sure. there's Bahama a lot shutter, of a traditional shutter, uh, traditional shutter. Yeah. The ones on the windows with the uh, three and a half inch uh, louvers on them. Don't get me started. I could tell you, I could talk <laughs> all day long about them. Yeah. My, well, my in-laws are in a custom home building company, so I can't talk it like they can, but I'm with you. <laughs> you got honeycomb shades, classic blinds. Roller shade, you name it. Oh, I mean, man. All yeah. right. Well, I'm sure you ship to anywhere, so look him up. You bet. But um, we want to talk about Rob Campbell leadership. And I've, I enjoyed working with you for several years. Mm -hmm. um, I think there was a nice balance. If you have an HR leader and a, or an HR consultant 
and a leadership consultant with two differing perspectives, but we agree on a lot of the same things, and that's giving employees a great experience, understanding that your managers on the front line are your greatest asset but can also be your biggest liability, Um, investing in them, talking to them, connecting management with the employees, um, understanding people on an individual and human basis. We we agree on all these things. Certainly. And so uh, what's your favorite part of going into a new client and working with an HR team or an HR person about kind of like plus wanting the whole employee experience? Like what's your favorite sort of situation to find yourself in? Well, I like the problem solving side of it. And I have the ability because I've been in a bunch of organizations and was in 21 different ones in the Army. I can walk in pretty quick and see a few things, hear a few things, interact with the HR folks specifically a lot of times to get a sense of what's happening. Uh, that's kind of neat. But I, I really enjoy the uh, the partnership with HR and because they're, they're naturally people-focused. They understand the implications of policies and rules and things like that, hiring processes, all the, all the impacts they have on people. So it's a good fit for me, which was really fun working with you because – uh, I learned a lot from you about HR in a private organization. I could talk to you all day long about HR in the military, but that's a government organization, two different things. So it helped me learn a lot about what happens in a private business and the things you have to take into account, all the while me bringing my leadership experience of how you motivate, influence people to bear when you kind of team up and kind of go to present something to the leadership, the CEO and the executive team of a company. Uh, as a unified team. So that really is the, that's the fun part to me where you can really get something of value instead of saying, you know, hey, this is just an HR policy we've got to put in place. No, boss, you said this is important and you're focused on these things. Let us tell you how you can leverage HR and Rob Campbell leadership, this consultant, this coach to get to that place. That's the neat challenge to mm-hmm. be able to deliver that to a, to a CEO. And you got to have the right CEO, the right leader in the organization that believes in it. If you don't have that from Jump Street, it's very hard to get there, as you know. There are a lot of executive coaches out there. And so finding a good fit for you, you mm-hmm. know, if you're like, okay, I, I like my boss, I'm able to ask him whatever, but I think that I need an executive coach. What's What are you bringing to the table? Like, what are the tools that you use and what's your kind of edge on other executive coaches that are out there and who's a good fit for you? Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm going to take that question in part. So the, uh, the approach is I, I start with a, a personality assessment. I use the Forte assessment. It's mm-hmm. a great starting point for a leader to get to know themselves I share of myself and my journey and where I'm at. So it's, it's that you've got to form that relationship and that bond of trust kind of quickly in a coaching relationship because you're going to have somewhat of an intimate conversation. You're going to talk about things that are challenging and personal sometimes. And so you want that trust from Jump Street. If it's not there, I can't go forward. I'll be the first to say sorry. Like I don't do arranged marriages, right? <laughs> you know, if they, hey, we've got John over here or Sarah, they need a coach. Rob, go take care of that. Fix it for me. If they're not bought in, I can't help. So you got to strike that relationship to begin with. And I do that with the forte assessment, getting to know the person. And then we go on a journey, meet once a week for an hour and talk about things that are weighing on them and troubling them, both personal and professional, because what happens in a person's personal life affects how they lead. Now, I'm not a social worker. I'm not a psychologist, a psychiatrist. But there are things I can talk about with somebody. I've been down the road a while. I've raised a couple of children, and you know, I've got some experience in that in that respect so I can help somebody. But my role as a coach really is to shed light on the things they can't see for themselves. 
And that's the beauty of it. And, I, and I'm not someone that's necessarily inside the organization. Those kind of conversations I can have with a leader are the kind of conversations they, they don't often want to have with their boss or even a peer inside the organization because they can be very personal. But they are the things that weigh them down. And so we can talk about those things. And the answers are within the leader. They're there. My job is to help pull them out, get them to realize it, get them to commit to executing a play on the field. Because if I, I can throw answers at them all, we'll do this and try this and do it this way. If they're not bought into it, if it's not theirs, it's going to be difficult for them to execute. I think the perfect client for me, there's really two. Uh, that young budding leader that's just been placed in that position and is hungry, really, want, you know, they've got it in their heart. They want to do right, and they really want to grow and to, to be a good leader. I can do something with that. I can work with that energy and get someone there. The second one is kind of a mid-level executive. Somebody maybe at the VP level that's going to head up to be an executive VP where, or a partner in an organization where they're making a big investment in this person, and they're bought in, and they want to take things to the next level. Uh, that person is important and uh, a great challenge for me because they're they're going from what I call company-grade leadership. I'm going to talk about this tomorrow with Cloudwise. And that's the direct leader that can touch and move everything that's right in front of them, turn things on a dime, to more of that field-grade leadership, as we call it in the Army. they got to see the field now. Their aperture has to be wider. Uh, they communicate more than execute. Uh, things like that. That's a great challenge to help somebody make that leap to that level. So that's how I approach coaching. And when I find the right person, it's a great journey to be on. you got to do it at least three months. Six months is optimal. So anybody that commits anything less than that is not really yeah. serious. Um, you, went, you went to the War College, didn't you? I did. That's super elite, and yeah. there's not many people that graduated from Yeah, you get selected for that. Not yeah. everybody makes it. It's, yeah. it's, not an, it's not a very small population, but, I mean, when you get to that, that's where the pyramid starts to narrow yeah. in the military is that. It's the executives the of the military exactly get to go right. to the war college. Yeah. How have you applied, like, some of those learnings from, uh, you know, we most of us don't know anyone that went to the war college, sure. and so it's no. interesting to know somebody that I did. Now. Yeah, now you do. Yeah, the, the colonel. Yeah. Um, so, like, how do you apply some of those learnings there at the War College to what you do today? It's um, what the War College did for me is it, it really widened my aperture on on strategic level thinking and advising. That's what the War College produces is uh, military uh, 06 colonels, captains, Navy captains that are at that level now. They may not make general officer, wear stars but they'll be advisors to those senior people, the executors of the military. So that's what it created for me is to be able to see the bigger picture and the, and the strategic level view. So I'm able to bring that into a private business where, okay, there's something happening here ab above and beyond or out uh, that's, that's beyond the, the, this organization here. Uh, so I'm able to help leaders kind of see that, think about ends, ways, and means, you know, and think long-term because we can get so stuck and mired in what's happening today in the weeds. I say often that gravity works. It pulls you down into the rank and file, and you're dealing with the crisis of the day. The cost of that is you can't see what lies down the road, and that's, what, that's a role of a leader. That's why leadership can be very lonely, because when you get up that level, there's not a lot of other people hanging out. It's just you looking deep. And that's the real um, benefit, I think, of going to the War College and learning about those things. There was obviously, you know, policy and strategy when it comes to a national level government and how yeah. it functions. That helps as well because I mean, even the smallest private business is affected by what the government does. So it was yeah. helpful in that respect. Hmm, cool. Mm-hmm.
So you've been able to do a lot of really cool things and obviously shape yeah. your your leadership philosophy in that process and, sure. and transition it to the coach. I always like to ask the question, you know, what is your non-negotiable as a leader? Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's selfishness. If there's, a, you know, military transition is difficult. I, I got so accustomed to being in the Army. I was institutionalized, and I was used to a lot of things. I was living in this culture. We spoke the same language, believed in the same things, subscribed to the same values. One of those values was selflessness. And on the outside, when I witnessed selfishness, it's all about me. What am I trying to get? I'm money-focused, right? Uh, where I'm <laughs> discarding people. I, it, I, you have no idea how much that bothers me. Uh, and so it's it's a non-negotiable for me. Yes, of course, we don't want to just surrender ourselves to the system. Certainly, we got to defend ourselves and promote ourselves and care for ourselves and be our own champions in some respect. But when they, when someone's just really kind of maneuvering for their own sake, then I think all is lost. And I think if you're a leader and you have that selfish vibe, you're in deep trouble. You really are because leaders are givers. Leaders, it's not about me. You know, leaders eat last. That famous saying. Well, it's because they're selfless. That's kind of a non-negotiable for me. Awesome. Win as a team as is a, one of our values, values at Vantica, and it's an awesome value. Yeah, it's, you bet. Yeah, it's about winning together, and no, not a lot of I language, not a lot of you 100%. know need to take ownership for all the things and get credit for all the things. But like winning as a team yeah. is truly better, and you can move faster if you rely on your colleagues to help with projects and stuff. So, mm -hmm. um, cool. Uh, let's talk about the. Um, importance of onboarding you and i at one point we did uh who was that with that was a college in boston we did a onboarding yeah, training together. yeah i remember that um, gosh i forget the name but you belmont, and i teamed up belmar oh my like, gosh it's just it's on the tip of my tongue okay it was a women's college a private <laughs> women's college in, in boston but anyway that was fun um i don't think that much has changed since we did that training with respect to the way People need to be onboarded. Graham and I spent a lot of time since last April when he took the role as director of people and culture, revamping the onboarding experience. And even in December, you put a whole new onboarding experience for our sales team because we hired a bunch of new sales reps and it was just kind of, it was lacking in, yeah. in specificity. Yeah. Um, but my big focus is um, on employee experience and that onboarding process can make or break. It's the most vulnerable time of a new employee's um tenure with your company in yep. the first 30, 60, 90 days, really 90 days. You want to make sure that people feel that they made the right decision. Yeah. They're valued. We notice them. We're giving them feedback. Um, and they've got the resources and the tools that they need. And they're developing a good relationship with their boss, with their peers. They trust the organization. They know where the business is going, where they fit into yeah. it. So like, what have you seen, um, with respect to onboarding, like any tips, tricks that you want to share with our listeners? Yeah. Uh, well, you, you nailed it. I mean, you, you're just speaking of the importance of it, um, it's a journey. I love that you said onboarding experience because I think too often we think of onboarding as a checklist. Mm -hmm. Okay, I've got 10 things I've got to do, and once all those blocks are checked, you're onboarded. Mm -hmm. yep. No, no. <laughs> not at all. Uh, you know, first impressions matter. The day someone walks through... The company, when I give my leadership speech investing in people, I tell the story of two Kens at the very beginning. And one Ken has a horrible onboarding experience. You know, walks in, there's nothing for him, and he just doesn't know anybody. The other one has a wonderful onboarding experience. So this organization puts its arms around him from day one. Um, it's a journey. 
that they travel. And, and so we've got to get away from this checklist mindset of onboarding where, okay, and you've got to think beyond, okay, John's showing up today, Sarah's showing up today. I'm going to empathize with them and, and know that they're probably feeling a lot of angst and worry and, and all those things that go with starting in a brand new position. So my first act will be to, you know, put them at ease. Tell them it's, un, it's going to be okay. They can't screw anything up. They're brand new. They're in a great position. We're going to get them, you know, onboarded to that team. Um, their sponsorship, I think that's very key when you come in, is you get somebody that's a peer with them as they come in that they can ask anything of, not necessarily a leader, because they're not going to ask questions of that. Hey, how do we get paid? And how's this stuff work? Right? All that kind of. These questions you don't really want to ask, but you need to ask. Yeah, exactly you don't right. Exactly right. And so um, I think if you look at it as a journey and your radar is up as a leader, like I look at like one of the books I'm going to write is called Leader's Business. I've got the outline drafted already for it. And it's the leader's role in the journey of employee from recruiting, hiring, onboarding, and retaining, R-H-O-R, in that journey. Because there's different things that occur in each of those, and leaders need to apply themselves and direct their organizations appropriately in the journey of the employee, i.e., when they're done onboarding, they become now a journeyman, journeywoman in this organization. That means something different. Well, in the onboarding role, that's where that leader's doing a lot of check-ins. There may be less autonomy that you might offer somebody. That's okay, but you ought to be explaining that. Graham, look, I'm, I trust you, and I think you're fantastic. I'm only micromanaging you a little bit because of this reason. So just know that this is going to change. This is not the norm, but I want to set you up for success. Does that help? You know, and have that conversation with them. All these things you do early in that onboarding process, you get a sense of whether, you know, this new person is on board with the values, espouses them, wants to live by them. And it's a two-way street here to make sure you got the right person on there. But there's so much that goes into it, and I think it's just – Got to be on the radar of the leader daily that, okay, this person is in this onboarding process, even 60 days into it as they're getting integrated. And when they make that transition, there's a celebration of some sort. If, if I were tasking anybody in an organization, I have actually in a small company that I'm in, with onboarding an individual, this would be my guidance. Lisa, I want you to onboard Sarah. She's going to come on and be this new person. You are part of the interview, whatever it might be. This is my guidance to you. I want her to go home every day and say that this is the best onboarding experience mm-hmm. I have ever had. That's what we go for. Yep. This Try. is this company <laughs> that put its Morton. arms around me. Yes. They've made me feel included. They reached out to my family. That's the intent. And you're going to find the way to get there, right? Yes, here's a checklist. That's important. I want all this done. We've got to cover the bases for all of us. But... That's the key intent. And if they say that we've achieved success, you're going to be all right. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we talk a lot about, um, and I mentioned Sam, he's our people ops coordinator. He runs like our, we bring everybody in-house. And yeah. we, we tried with post-COVID, get people together, kind of drink the Kool-Aid. You bet. But leave there like knowing what is Vanica, who are some key players, and then validate your decision to be a part of this. You thing. bet. And so and they're looking for that. Right. Yeah. Right. And they're revalidating constantly. Yeah. Why am right. I here? Yeah. What's going on? What's my piece in this big thing, right? Yeah, really and, and it starts from recruitment with Jared Watts on our team reaching out. Mm-hmm. Great experience passing to Sam. Yeah. And we just try to keep the ball rolling. But it's a big deal. And I, I just think that I've seen it overlooked too much. And I've seen that person show up on day one. And I'm, I'm like, oh, God, please tell me this isn't happening. But it does so much because we get so busy. Oh, my God. I you know? I think my – okay. So uh, when I was working – full-time with Leith HR group, I had done a bunch of headhunting gigs for healthcare. And one, I recruited 
a woman that had worked for me previously at Alchemy to go work for a healthcare organization as like their lead recruiter. Okay. Mm -hmm. Recruiters can work from anywhere on any laptop. All they need is a license to like Loxo or LinkedIn recruiter or Zoom info. She showed up to this mega giant healthcare organization, sat down at a dirty desk. Okay. Still had like napkins and like <laughs> the plastic silverware and somebody's Advil packet that was a, you know, stuff like that. Crumbs on the desk from sure. yesterday's subway. Um, and like didn't speak to anyone in the HR function all day. Didn't get access to like anything she needed. Didn't get her computer booted up. Wasn't didn't have access to the email. She's like, why the hell am I here today? I could have come tomorrow. Sure. Could have had an extra day off. Um, but like just being like ill prepared like that is and and you think, oh, well, big organizations have got it locked down. Yeah. No, they don't because it becomes so bureaucratic sure. that nobody knows who's on base to like make this person feel like you've wrapped your arms around them. Yeah. Yeah. So something, yes, checklists are important. Um, but then the feeling and the experience is more important, but the checklists are important. So let's be worried about the experience and the feelings. But before you can do that, before you can do any of the fun HR stuff, you got to have the foundational stuff locked down. Got to know where you're going. Got to know where you you got to like set up the lunches and put it on people's calendar. It's day one. Like you're not going to have lunch with your hiring manager. That's ridiculous. Like take them to the cafeteria, spend 20 bucks. Dear God. Um, get a... Water bottle, put it on their desk before they sit down, right? Absolutely. That was a big thing for you. You're like, make them feel like they have some brand ambassadorship. This is your place. Yeah, this yeah. is your place. Your We're ready for you. Right. Welcome. Um, even doing like a team, hello, you know, especially if most of your team is remote, you know, scheduling 30 minutes and just like jumping on the computer first thing in the morning and saying, I know you work from home, but like this is everybody in your new sphere of influence, at, you know, at Vantica or Lethe Drug or whatever. I mean, just little things, and yeah. and you can do better if you're listening. Think of the way that you can do better. You can do it's something not different. Science. No, it's not. Well, it's just being intentional. Yep, a little goes a long way. For sure. Hundred um, percent. What do you want to talk about? Well, it'd be interesting to talk about the the new workforce and what's happening and these dynamics that are going on. You know, it, the uh, the Great Resignation, which seems to kind of maybe we're on the other side of that. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. This thing called quiet quitting, mm-hmm. um, and you know, what's happening out there, you know, and what this. I next... want to talk about quiet quitting because I have a very strong opinion about that. Yeah, yeah. What do you think it's about? When I first heard the term, it it bothered me. Of course, quit's not in my DNA. Yeah. Right? I'm, a, <laughs> sure. I'm an army officer, um, so I, don't, I just don't resonate with that at all. And, and of course, it was it rung of selfishness that bothers me too. So I was like, "Are you kidding me?" I think I saw it on social media. Yeah. And, uh, and it really angered me. But quickly, I turned to, okay, I get it. I understand what it is. It's disengaged employees. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking about this. Gallup has for years. Oh, my now. gosh, right? Yeah. We yeah. just talked yeah. about this last week. Yes, and, and that's exactly like what it is. 35% of U.S. workers are actively disengaged yes. in their work. Exactly yeah. right. Particularly focusing on the weaknesses as opposed to their strengths. Right, yeah. yeah. 100%. And, uh, and so that's what it was. So I, I quickly turned from anger and surprise and shock to ownership. Okay, what's leadership's ownership of this? What leadership created quiet quitting, in my opinion. Now, to be fair, there are some out there that is just maybe ingrained. Maybe it's just in their upbringing that you know that's the easy button, and they're just going to skate and, and let things get by. I've seen people out there like that too, 
And frankly, I think that's a horrible philosophy to approach life in anything that you do. <laughs> in, right? With mediocrity. Yeah, I mean, really? I, okay, this <laughs> is what you choose. I mean, this is this is your choice and what you're doing. If I ever had somebody that was engaging in that, of course, I would pick up the mirror first and look, okay, what am I doing and not doing right. and create this? The other part is the ownership of the individual. Okay, uh, maybe I haven't led you that well, or maybe this isn't the best organization in the world, or whatever that might be, but you're choosing to quiet quit. Okay, you think that's a great solution? I mean, what, what happens to the next challenge? You know, if that's how you approach things, how far do you think you're going to get in life? Is mm. it, What other options would there have been? You know, if you've encountered something at work you're not happy with, maybe speak up, maybe, hey, listen, I have to go. Is that fair to your teammates, quiet quitting? Because, sure, the big, big company might survive the day if you're quiet quitting, but what about your teammates left and right? I mean, do, do you mean to impact them in a negative way? I don't but think so. But to be so. honest, like actively disengaged people are probably not having great relationships with their peers. They sure. don't give a shit about their peers. Sure. Um, that's why they're actively disengaged and quiet quitting. They're looking sure. for something. Like quiet quit. What do you think about quiet quitting? I'll be quiet yeah, until yeah, everybody talks. Yeah. I, I, I don't love it. Much like you, it's not in my DNA. Like we talk about like our core values you mentioned before, like accountability starts with me as one of ours. Like yeah. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. Now I've also got a wife and kids at home. Like I know I've got to make sure, like I'm worried every day that Lisa's going to fire me now that Stop I got to quit. And so I just got to make sure <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding kind of, no, but uh, just trying to make sure that we're doing the right thing. Yeah. And so I, I think for me personally, my, you know, my background's in education. So I was an elementary school principal before getting into the HR world. It was always about relationships. And so if you're disengaged, Maybe to your point, you're you're missing some sort of relationship there that keeps you alive because the people you work with are the company to you. Like yeah. you may not have any interaction with the cross teams yep. and the silos that the can CEO, happen. The CEO, the owner, you don't know them, but yeah, it's, yeah, the, it's that piece. Are... And and ultimately, I would say to them, it's like, hey, if you're if quiet quitting is a real thing, I want people that are all in, mm-hmm. right? And it's all good if you're not all in. Just go be all in somewhere else. Because to your point, that's a tough way to live. I, I couldn't live that way. Yeah, I just don't, I don't see that. There's other options, right? right. Before you get to quiet quitting, because I mean, the way I define it is that they're still there. They're doing the minimum to prevent from getting fired, but just doing the minimum. And okay, do you consider yourself an exceptional individual? Well, of course I do. Okay, <laughs> would an exceptional individual choose to quiet quit? Right. Well, I guess not, right? I mean, that's yeah. the conversation that needs yeah. to be had. So I appreciate your point, though, like with the HR hat on of, what as a company could we be doing better, right? Mm-hmm. Because it didn't just happen overnight. It's yeah. not just something that, like, they don't have a good rapport with their manager. Yep. Their manager doesn't check in with them ever. And yep. so you're out here on this island. Or and maybe they've in... had three managers in the last six months. Yeah, and they yeah it should don't know. be a surprise. Yeah. Then, yeah. Right? yeah. Or if that's the case, where they've had three managers in the last six months, which is sometimes the norm, then, okay, again, the leadership radar is up. we got to nurture yeah. this person a little bit. Hey, you've had three managers. It's not your fault. It's just that we're going through some changes here. I want to check in on you, see how you're yeah. doing. That's important. Yeah. The interesting part about quiet quitting to me is like you mentioned selfishness. Yes. Medi- we talked about mediocrity associated with quiet quitting. Yes, you're okay with just like doing the bare minimum. Um, but I honestly um, think, and I always tell employees, like, you own your career. And so what have you done to make sure that your boss or this organization understands the experiences that you're bringing with you? Because guess what? We're all super busy and we just don't freaking remember like all the things that you did before you joined our team. So remind me every once in a while. Hey, I got to be a principal by the time I was 30 years old. Like that's a big deal. Or I got to go to the war college and only, you know. One in 10,000 people in the Army get to go to that. And, yeah. like, like remind me of all your career accomplishments. And then 
like, tell me what you want to do. What's that next job that you want to do? Why do you want to do it? Like, what? And if there's a disconnect, like, as your manager, I need to be super transparent and have some managerial courage and be able to tell you, like, okay, you want to be the head of HR, um, but you're currently, like, a department manager in software engineering. That's a... That's a leap, but it's not a leap that you can't make. Um, So let's talk about what's the gap kind of between the role you're in right now and the role that you want to be in. Let's make a plan. Maybe it's going to take three years, but I'm going to be honest with you. But if you're an employee that's quiet quitting or you're just maybe you haven't even thought about that term, but you're just a little bit disengaged or actively disengaged, you owe it to yourself to bring up the conversations and have these maybe uncomfortable conversations with your boss. And if you don't trust your boss, you don't like your boss, you can't talk to your boss, go to their boss. And if it's an organization where you're not able to do that, then you should look somewhere else. Yeah. It probably validates your, your feelings. For sure. And lack of effort yeah. there, like, again, to the point of, like, there's something yeah. that it, it's not necessarily just you. It's, it's a two-way street. Sure. Well, I like the you own your career. Uh, that's a great statement. I mean, there's personal ownership in that for sure. And a lot of them probably think... I don't know, the Z and millennial, millennial generation. I'm, I'm finding a little bit that... I'm they, a millennial. Are you a millennial? I think so. I'm the oldest millennial. Millennials oh, yeah. turn the 40 this year. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you were younger than me, so... Oh, really? Oh, Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the younger generation doesn't believe that they have power in their career. Frankly, today, I think they've got a lot more power than this, they've ever had, the employee, yeah. because there are opportunities out there. And there's much more transparency now about pay scales and all those things mm-hmm. that are happening. They There's can even laws about patrons. Absolutely. You know, so. And you can look on places yep. like Indeed and Glassdoor and get a sense of what's happening inside of companies before you couldn't do that. Right. So, yeah, I think you, that's a great point. Um, employer branding is like what really makes me excited and happy. And I love always thinking of ways to show Vanica's personality through, um, you know, whether we're at a workshop or we're networking at like a chamber event or at UNCW's like career advisory council. Um, How do we put our best foot forward on social media and really explain the brand and our personality so that we detract the wrong people and attract the right people? Um, What's kind of y'all's philosophy? I've sort of preached at you for the last 11 months about employer brand, but like what's, what's your philosophies on employer branding and the power of a great brand? Mm. Um, that's a great question. I've been thinking about this a lot. One of the things that I, I speak on is veteran ready businesses, not just mm-hmm. veteran friendly business. Yeah. Cause anybody can be veteran friendly. We love veterans. Okay. Block checked. Uh, veteran... I gave you a shout out on the Lindsay Cashin episode, by the uh, way, you should go listen cool. to it. <laughs> I, I should have. Um, <laughs> I may have. I don't know. Veteran ready. Yes. Well, and, and and so veteran ready means you can recruit, hire, onboard, and retain a veteran because right now 60 to 70% of them are leaving their first job out of the military. But I, one of the things I talk about in there is this branding of a company. What's going to attract a veteran in? Well, why do they join the military? They don't join because the Marines have a sign <laughs> hiring now, inquire within, <laughs> right? Fill out an application. They hire, they, they join the Marines and they join other services where you might get shot because of things like for a nation, for us all, the few, the proud, <laughs> aim high, be all you can be, you know, be a part of something bigger than yourself. Take the challenge that attracts them into these places. Same applies for business. I see it all the time. We can leave out here today in Wilmington, drive by, and you'll see, help wanted, now hiring. It's not attracting people. <laughs> Branding a business, like my business in, in uh, Johnson City, all about blinds. I sell and install window fashions. 
so what? Who's coming to, to and, I'm, I'm, and I'm hiring, who wants to? No, we serve our customers and we serve the community. We support local, you know, businesses. We we give back to uh, Habitat for Humanity. We're going to support. We're going to sponsor a Ukrainian art uh, auction. Uh, we're socially responsible. We do these things, and we use the business as the vehicle to help us do these things. You want to be a teammate with us? You want to come on a journey of growth and be a part of this cause that we're behind? Yeah. Now we're that's now we're starting to brand an organization where I think this new generation. I know this new generation wants to be a part of. Because they want social impact, environmental impact. And they're going to hold you to it when they come through the door. Oh, we're all about the environment. We use recycled <laughs> toilet paper. Uh, good. <laughs> oh, that's the last <laughs> right? thing you need yeah. to be using. Yeah, I know. Recycle. <laughs> so, so, okay, what is it you're doing when they come through the door? And that's the way you kind of sell these organizations. Certainly, when I went and hired people, and I've got zero turnover in my small business. When I went and hired them, I certainly talked about, here's what your pay is going to look like. This is what the hours look like. This is the compensation package, right? This is what, but what we really talked about was you're going to have a chance to grow in this organization because I'm going to, you know, appraise your performance. I'm going to coach you as an individual. I want to let you go on a journey. One of my employees is going to college. So I have adjusted his hours, flexible hours on Tuesdays and Thursdays. He's not working. He's in school and he's going to graduate this spring. And that probably means he's going to move on. And that's okay. Because in the meantime, he's deathly loyal to the organization because I've made an investment in him. So I think it's just talking about those things more in your messaging and your branding and your social media about what you're doing and all the goodness of that organization. Then hey, we're hiring. Uh, we're going to we got three positions open. Okay, that's cool. But I'm mildly entertained by that kind of stuff. Everyone has a website. So even if you're the smallest business with no marketing budget, guess what? You probably have a computer with a video camera on it. You can get a free Zoom account. You can click record and you oh, can yeah. make a little video. Like even if you're not great, people love authenticity. Like make a little video about here's what it's like to work here. Here's a realistic job preview. I'm going to walk you around our little <laughs> tiny blinds office and yeah. you're going to see the showroom. If you want to stop by, come by between eight and five. I'd be happy to show you in person. But like just so you can know, here's where your office would be. Here's where your desk would be. Or um, let me tell you what we believe in here. Yeah. And you want to be a part of the team that believes in that? Come on. Let's yeah. have a chat. Oh, my God. Or you're helping people like, you know, dress up their most important. This is one of the things that we talk about at Vanica because we're a HOA software, which is not super like exciting when sure, you first yeah, hear it. Yeah. But you figure this is a software that helps people protect their most important asset in their life, their home. Right. You're like you're dealing with people's homes. It's their most expensive, important now asset. Personal. Now it's personal. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so I love um, just thinking of new ways to give people all the information that they need, whether it be on the on the website or free socials, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok. TikTok's probably going to get banned now. I don't know. As soon as like we start getting actual <laughs> followers, um, they're going to ban it. And I'm going to have to go to Snapchat. But um, yeah, just get material out there so that people, because they will educate themselves, give them material that you want them to consume versus filling, you know, the gap with rumors or assumptions about what your business is or isn't. Yeah. Um, and and just bring some personality to where they're going to look you up, whether it's Glassdoor, Indeed, Instagram. the why Indeed, of what you Instagram. do over the what. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you don't even have to be perfect at articulating it, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You don't have to sit down and think for hours about the why. Like, that sounds so academic in nature almost. Like, just think about, like, why, why did you start the business and just tell your story behind 
why the heck you bought the business in the first place or why you moved to Johnson City and why you're here. How'd you get here? How does your, you know, all the things that you're sharing with us today are yep. so important on why somebody would want to come work for you. The story. Yep. That yeah. authenticity, that transparency makes a difference. Yeah. It does. It's, yeah. It's Even if you're not great not on video, you just get on there. Hey, this is what we believe in and we'd love to have you a part of our team. Yeah. Okay. That's real. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Um, what else do you want to talk about? Here's what I want to talk about. So one of the okay. things I, I thought about um, is <laughs> HR's role in the C-suite. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I took over a large enterprise in the organization, First Brigade the 101st, I had nearly 5,000 men and women. So it was a big organization, a lot of depth there. And I had my C-suite. It was my, my kind of my, my staff that was close in, a small group of people to kind of help me think and, and, and steer this battleship. Um, HR was the number one person I went after because, and kept close, because when I came into the organization, I did so under the philosophy of um, what's important to me. There's these philosophies of leadership and, you know, your objectives of, of the, you know, in the position, but really what's important to you day in and day out will never change. And I think that's what people want to know. Uh, people were very important to me because I couldn't tell the future. This was the Army in 2013. There was a lot of unknowns, a lot of pressures, a lot of stress. But I knew if I invested in people and cared for them, they would rise to the occasion, whatever mission we got. So that was very important to me, and that was never going to change. Well, I needed an ambassador for that, and that was my HR executive that could help me guide this effort. Not somebody I flung the booger on and say, hey, you go fix this, right? <laughs> Tag it your was it. somebody that could be the pulse and reach Policies out and say, okay, That's right. yeah, this is, this is actually working, or it's not. Or what could I do or not do? Or how does this affect my people when we bring this new policy, new mission, and whatever it is? I kept that person close. And so... That's not always the case in a private business. Frankly, I see a lot of outsourced HR, which I understand because it's not, it's not cheap. Uh, but if a leader gets the people thing and has somebody with that HR you know, uh, title pinned on them, then he or she ought to keep them close. And I think if you're an HR executive in a company and you want to be in the C-suite, you want that seat next to the boss who doesn't, then I think the best way to do that is to use his or her language back at them. Mm -hmm. Sounds devious, right? But it's not. It's showing alignment and really taking that language, taking their intent and their objectives and their focus and their priorities and, and doing what you do, bringing that to bear. Hey, boss, you said that you, know, you want to cut cost by X or you're really worried about waste over here or this is really important to you. Let me tell you what we can do from the HR side in the organization to get you to that mountaintop. Okay, you have my attention now. All right, so share with me what it is that, that it is. And, and just being close to the boss like that, providing value for him or her, I think is going to be a great for an HR voice. It's not waltzing in and saying, we just need more you know, coaching and we need some more leadership training and things. It's, it's great. Uh, but you really, you want to kind of use their language and use their intent back at them. You said this, and I can compliment it this way through what I do in HR. What do you think? Mm -hmm. And I can take care of it. I can run that for you. I might need a little bit of resources here. I don't need much, but I can run that. And that's the way I think that, you know, the HR executive in a company can get closer to that leader to be able to have the influence that is really needed and required to help them see the importance of what HR does beyond checklists and policies and, you know, those kind of things that really provide value, that can be important. So I, always, I often, you know, if I were to take another company over, I would have that HR executive close to me, but that's just Rob Campbell and how I think. Often it's a bottom-up fight. 
where you got to be that voice and you got to be that that value added that value proposition for the boss to get into that into that circle so I think we're lucky. Our CEO is very people focused, and, yeah. and, and while you have a seat at that table, and, and we've been able to make the impact that we've done in a short amount of time. Yeah, um, but I like what you're saying. If you want to be in a strategic executive level um, people role, you do have to have a high level of you know business acumen and astuteness to kind of like keep up with the rest of the crew Certainly. that's living in financials and um talking about you know prospects and sales funnels and um you know growing margins and Certainly. um you know so i think always trying to grow i think about myself and like just always trying to grow and learn from the executives that are my peers on the team yep. is just like really something I'm, I'm conscientious of it every day is like, I, I picked up on a new term and then I go, you know, try to look it up or ask them about it in the meeting. Um, what does that mean? Sorry if it sounds stupid, but like, what is always just trying to learn and not, and not kind of like stuffing it away and saying, Oh, I'll ask them about it later, but never getting to it. That it's a missed opportunity. So I think, um, no one's perfect. No one knows how to do, you know, all the executive roles exactly perfectly. We're all coming with our own experiences yeah, and yeah. perspectives. But I think always trying to learn and having a good business acumen and really understanding the financials is, is important so you can speak to the CEO in his or her language um, because yeah. they care a lot about the financials. But also you can also care about the people just as much. Yeah, because the people are going to carry the day, right? Whatever right. his worries or her worries are on financials and market share and the survival right. of the business, at the end of the day, it's going to rest on the shoulders of a person that's far away from the C-suite doing something day in and day out. And this is where HR, I think, it has, has a very important role of fostering that, helping with that. You know? mm -hmm. HR is part of every team. So yeah. You need to be in the loop to know what's going on so we can be a better HR business partner sure. for you. A company at the end of the day is a collection of people. Yeah. So what are we I, doing? I, I mean, and just advice, especially if um, like companies have never had a good HR person or somebody who really has like good business acumen, but cares about the people and has a balanced approach, like protecting the company, but also being an employee advocate. If you've never had a good HR person, you may be like, eh, why does Graham want to come to my team meetings? Or why does Lisa want to be in my all hands, you know, once a month? It's purely to be that great business partner. If I want to stand up for you and give you great advice or, like, be your sounding board um, without being blindsided, like, I got to know how you're running your department, how you're running your, your division. And so I'm not there to cause trouble or, like, pick on you or nitpick the things that you say. I'm purely there, like, to be a great business partner and support. So if you have an HR business partner that you really do like and you're not inviting them to team meetings or – um, or, or you're not having like regular one-on-ones or check-ins, which you do with all our supervisors. And I absolutely love it. I think it's important to build that relationship. Start inviting them. It's super simple. They can be extra helpful, and they're thinking about things that you're not thinking about as the department manager. So yeah. start inviting your HR person to your meetings. I want to hammer. I want to hit on that too. I, I um, one of the things I, I've, I've thought about quite a bit because you and I have been consultants, right? We have been that person that is contracted to come in, not necessarily a W two employee. And on the other end of it, being a business owner, I know how I would treat consultants. I treat them just like members of the family. Hey, you can have one of our email accounts, right? Mm -hmm. Lisa, you know, leave that companyx.com. Absolutely. Here's a T-shirt. Here's some business cards. All those small things, but really important things that make them feel part of the team. They're invited into everything. 
yes, of course, there's a trust factor there. And, you know, consultants, I hate the term. I always like. I always was trying to find a different word. Me too. Yeah, I just. <laughs> I never came. We could make a million dollars if we actually fit, figured well, that the, out. Well, you know, the consultant is this person with folded arms to say, "Well, you know, you really got to try this, and good luck with the that." The Bob's yeah, from Office come, Space. Let me let me collect <laughs> my really check and move bobs. on. No, I'm here to roll my sleeves up with you, and I think yeah. certainly it's a two way street here, yeah. right? Where you got to get the right consultant or advisor, whoever you got. If it's outsourced to HR, great. They've got a bunch of other clients, but. Those aren't your concern. Make that person feel a part of the team. And those small things that you can do that make them feel like that, instead of, hey, we're going to have a little huddle here now. We need you to leave. What do you think you're going to get? Mm-hmm. Versus, oh, absolutely. You're welcome in any time. Here's an office for you. Here's a desk for you, right? Here's a business cards, whether you need them or not, or here's an email account you can use. You've got access to our Slack channel, right? So you're really brought in like that. And I think that's a great way for someone that must outsource HR or anything else for that matter, my bookkeeper. In my small business is outsourced. She's not a W-2 employee, but she's a teammate. Mm-hmm. And she's there when we have functions and bring the team together. She's always welcome. Whether she can make it or not, she's always there. And that's important. Um, which is probably, if there's any employment lawyers listening, they're probably like, ah, scratching their throat from a co-employment standpoint. But, like, I always appreciated having direct line um, and access to anyone in the organization that I need to get access to when I was consulting. And I think that's where we kind of – that was our non-negotiable as a consultant probably yes. similarly. It's like I need to first like and get along with the CEO and have a spouse to the yes. same values. Yeah. But then also have access to the entire team. And if you're freaked out by that, then I probably don't want to work here because it doesn't mean you want to make progress. Sure. So um, And you, you need that leader to champion you too, to open for those sure. doors. Yeah, to how say, anybody's hey, going to buy in on that? If the leader's not all in, then totally. why am I going to be all in as the member? Totally. Well, and it's demotivating. <laughs> I mean, and, and we kind of, the reason why we have great, relationships with the clients from a consulting perspective was because we got shit done. Yes. Right. And that's in my leadership philosophy. I like people who can execute and thank God uh, his strength is executing. And, (laughs) and so he's my right hand man, right? So he's my sergeant. I'm the Colonel. And I want to kind of close this conversation with that was one of my favorite things that you ever talked about was the relationship between a Colonel and their Sarge and how that translates to business. Like every Colonel needs a Sergeant. Talk to us about that and like finding your (laughs) go-to person at work and, and how do you use them? Yeah. So every waking moment of my 27 years, five months and seven days of the United (laughs) States Army, every single one, I had a Sergeant. Every single, I could name every single one. That person that was there for me to catch me and keep me marching straight to make sure I was espousing the values of the, of the institution, uh, <clears throat> to coach me and teach me, catch me when I fall, to dust me off, to whisper in my ear, you're crazy if you do that. That's what a sergeant does. We are, uh, the U.S. Army, the military writ large, is the envy of the world in large part mostly because of our non-commissioned officers, the sergeants out there that do what I'm describing. And it's no different in a business. You need that person that can do that. And I find them every now and then. And these businesses say, oh, yeah, that's got sergeant written all over it, that person and what they're doing. They're speaking up, and they're keeping everybody in tune, and they're whispering in the ears of those, and they're, they're doing challenging things. So you got to find them. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the things I talk about with um, those that never served and, and their thirst to want to thank someone for their service and be there for a veteran and do something. My, one of my speeches I give is be there, sergeant. And really, I'm just talking about striking up a friendship and building a relationship where you can have those kind of conversations. Lisa, you don't look well. You look tired. Come here. What's the matter with you? Straighten up. Come on. 
What's going on? Talk to me. Let me hear. That's what a sergeant does. So you need that person in business and in your life, be it a professional coach that's paid or somebody in the organization or just outside that you can have those real kind of conversations with. I think it's outside your family, certainly your spouse, you know, and close family are folks you can confide in. But that person you can go to and say, hey, I think I'm losing my mind here. What do you think it is? It's not going to be the boss, probably. It probably won't. It's not necessarily going to be subordinates, though I'm all about vulnerability. Hey, I got something that's weighing me down. I'm losing sleep. You know, I think that's fine to share. But somebody can really have a hard conversation with to say, man, this just isn't working, and and I can't figure it out. Well, it's because you act like this, and you do these things. You're God, right. that sounds like my mother. Yeah, you're right. I, I hate you because you're right. You know, that's, what, that's what a sergeant does. So if you don't have that, especially as a leader, then I think you have a void. Mm-hmm. You know, Tom Brady has a coach. We all have somebody that's saying, what are you thinking? What are the, you the doing? Tom Brady, that's such a bad example. This guy wasn't even, like, satisfied with Giselle. I can't stand Tom Brady. Come on. <laughs> Who else has a coach? Let's use somebody else. Who's the, who's the Buffalo Bills guy? Oh, yeah. Um Oh, another sports figure. Yeah. Belichick. Well, Bill Belichick. But he is a coach. He is a coach, yeah. I don't know whether he's got somebody in his life he can confide in and bounce Just things Saquon off Saquon Barkley. Of. Shout out Penn State. Shout out Penn State. We are. <laughs> Pick a sports figure. I mean, anybody you would look at and say, wow, this cat's got to figure it out. You know, he yeah. or she is killer on the court or whatever they do. Sure, but they need a coach. You know, even the best of them do. And the, even the best leaders I've seen have a coach, somebody that can bounce it. It's a sergeant. And again, not, not everyone can afford a coach, uh, but you got to have somebody that I think can really be honest with you. And if you don't have it, again, it's a void. Go mm-hmm. find something like that. Yeah. You know, network with somebody. Find someone that's aligned with you. Reach back to an old friend and an old business and say, hey, can we connect every other week for an hour? You know, can we go grab coffee on Thursdays or this day and just... Sometimes that's the best is like just, I mean, you probably yeah. even keep in touch with some of the principals that you worked sure. with at the school system. I mean, sometimes the people that you used to work with that now you can be completely vulnerable because they don't work with the people that you yeah. currently work with and yeah. you don't work there anymore. That's some of the best relationships sure. um, because they do know your work style, your communication style, your kind of stressors, and they can yeah. give you really great feedback. That's a great that's a great piece of advice. Reconnect with your yeah. old colleagues. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a full-time thing either. I confess that you were my sergeant on a couple of occasions where I knew you had expertise and experience there that I didn't. So I probably, re- and we had trust and we were friends and I could reach out and say, Lisa, I need some, I need some advice on something. That's what a sergeant does. Somebody you can go to and say, okay, because sergeants in the military, this is beautiful thing. Like the command sergeant major is the senior ranking non-commissioned officer in an organization. And he or she can see miles down the road because they have been through these cycles of life and cycles of business that you have not. And when I was a commander in this brigade in the 101st Airborne Division, first time being a brigade commander, and I was a very seasoned, experienced officer, but this sergeant major had been in organizations like this and could see down the road and say, hey, this is gonna happen a month from now if you don't do this. And that's the kind of stuff that I think is valuable to us. And I, I, I confess is why I reached out to you on different occasions to say, hey, what do you think about this? This is what I'm thinking. Because you had that experience. You could see the outcome of something I couldn't. That's what a sergeant does. Cool. Um, any final comments? Thank you for your service. Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you, Rob Campbell. Give us a plug. He's got. He's an author of several books, and yes. you're writing another one. So tell us about your books. Yeah, so the first one, is, it's personal, not personnel. Leadership Lessons for the Battlefield of the Boardroom. It's, it really describes my people-centric approach to leadership. And... 
I had the number one brigade in the, in the Army for human resource performance. And we led our division in retention. So the things that we did as a team worked. And I described those in the book on how you do that because it applies to private business. And that's really what I wanted to speak to is private business. Second one's called At Ease, Enjoying the Freedom You Fought For. And that is about hmm. veteran transition because it's a very difficult transition. You get, again, institutionalized in something, and the next thing you know, you're out, and it's almost overnight. So this book just talks about my journey and what I learned and steps I took and what others can think about as they're making the same journey. The third book is called um, Left and Right of the Boom, Leading and Managing in Crisis. So left and right of the boom is a term that was born out of the IED in Iraq and Afghanistan. The IED explosion was going to happen. We couldn't stop it completely. So we developed this approach of getting left of the boom. What can we do in this space before that explosion goes off to protect ourselves, to prevent it from happening in the first place? All these things that would make us safer and stronger so that when the boom occurred, we could survive. And then when the boom goes off, what do you do as a leader? How are you acting? What are those things that you're doing? And then, I'm sorry, yeah, left of the boom. And then right of the boom are those things you do after the crisis, where many of us just want to close it out, shut it off, and never see it again. But it's going back and learning and pulling out those lessons and hardening yourself for the next crisis. Because there is one constant, crisis is coming. Right. The pandemic was really the birth of the idea for that book. I shelved it a few times because I got really busy, but I, I brought it back to life. I'm on Chapter 5 right now. I'm going to muscle through that this year. So. Awesome. Congratulations. Awesome. Thank you. Um, we excited. have a new team member on the Vanica team that just joined us from, um, came through the Honor Foundation. Oh, and wonderful. so he started last week, so we'll have to get him at ease. I yeah. think he would enjoy that book. Absolutely. We'll get an autographed copy from you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Can do. Okay. Um, thank you. Thank this you, This was Lisa. awesome. I'm yeah. so glad that you came back good to, to Wilmington. Again. It's absolutely. so good to see you. Um, Graham, you're the bomb. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and, um... I love uh, being able to give our audience listeners just good, solid, pra pragmatic advice. There's things that you can take away and implement, you know, today. Don't wait. Get after it. Um, own your career and lead with human-centric practices. That's the kind of key takeaway from today. Um, thank you for listening. Subscribe if you like what you hear. Make sure you're following us on wherever you listen to your podcasts and, and sign up to get notified. But this is HR Nightmares. Thank you for joining. See you next time.